This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'll invite you to turn to two openings of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1 and Luke chapter 10. We've been uh, teaching a series for the last uh, several weeks on uh, spiritual dominion. And we've been using as a text scripture, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And then we've also looked a little bit over in uh, a couple of times, I guess, over into Luke chapter 10 as well. So we want to begin there this, uh, this morning. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. And God said... Let us make man in our image after our likeness. I've said this before, but image and likeness must be two different things. We think of appearance with both of those words, but he's really talking about the the spiritual nature, the fact that man was made a spirit being which is in God's class. He's the only thing that's made a spirit being uh, in the the, uh, Genesis account of creation. He's the only spirit being that God made, and therefore God made him in his own class of being. He said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Notice the purpose for creating man as a spirit being. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Over in Luke chapter 10, we know what's, uh, what happened shortly thereafter. Well, we say shortly thereafter. Shortly in the Genesis account, uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They ate of the tree of the uh, knowledge of good and evil that they were commanded not to eat. And God said that the consequence of that, he said, dying thou shalt die. Literally in the Hebrew it says, dying thou shalt die. King James translates it like this. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, he can't be talking about physical death because they didn't die that day. So what death is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual death. Literally what he's saying is you'll be separated from God. That's what spiritual death is. It's separation from God. That's why hell is hell. Because of separation from God. The flames of hell doesn't make hell what it is. Hell is separation from God. If there was no torment in hell, it would still be hell. Because it's separation from God. That's what spiritual death is. And so man fell into spiritual death. It fell under the dominion of spiritual death. Now when Jesus came on the scene, there were, there were many others. We looked at, uh, at that several weeks ago as well. Moses superseded the laws of nature. He parted the Red Sea example well i don't know how exactly how you do that except that god's with you joshua stopped the sun and the moon in place for a day well how do you do that there are laws of nature that are orderly that always work that were superseded the law of gravity was uh, was superseded by elijah or uh, was no it was elisha i guess that uh, that threw a stick into the water and an axe head floated floated back to the top. Something that had been dropped in the water floated back to the top. So we see even under the old covenant days that men who were granted a promise of righteousness didn't obtain it on their own, but a promise of righteousness because they kept the law of Moses. Those were men that overcame or superseded even the laws of nature. They did supernatural things regarding their enemies, winning battles over their enemies, as well as conquering the laws of nature, the physical laws of nature that always work just because they had a promise of righteousness. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he does things that nobody ever did before. People are aware of it. John chapter 3 talks about Nicodemus coming to him in the night. I guess he was afraid of the others, the other uh, Jewish leaders and rulers, but he was one of the, the council, one of the very ones that made up the council that crucified Jesus. 
uh, at least at that point in time, they, they switched from, uh, from year to year. So he may not have been part of the group that literally crucified him, but he was part of the group, uh, the council that did several years later. And so anyway, he said, uh, Jesus, we know that you're come from God because nobody can do these miracles that you're doing except God be with him. And, you know, I wish people were smart enough to realize that today. I mean, that seems elementary, but, but that seems to get by most people. Because God will do something miraculous and people will explain it away. Well, Nicodemus didn't. He said, we know you come from God because nobody can do these miracles ex- that you're doing except God be with him. Well, what kind of miracles did Jesus do? He multiplied loaves and fishes. That supersedes the laws of nature, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but my refrigerator doesn't expand. The food in my refrigerator doesn't expand from week to week unless I go to the store and replenish it. But Jesus prayed and multiplied loaves and fishes. He turned water into wine. He walked on the water. He healed sickness and disease. He caused the blind to see and the lame to walk. He's overcoming physical and even natural laws that never change. Because he was the righteousness of God on the earth. Now, Jesus delegated that authority. It wasn't something that was unique to him. I mean, we could just stop and say, as many do, many in the church world do. They just say, well, you know, Jesus was the son of God. And so he did the things that nobody else can do. And and that was it. But Jesus delegated that authority to his disciples who were not sons of God. They weren't even good, very good at keeping the law. But because they were descendants of Abraham and because their, their intent in keeping the law, their motive was right. They had a promise of righteousness that would be accomplished by Jesus' resurrection. And so Jesus delegated that authority to them. He gave them authority over sickness and disease as well. When Jesus wasn't there, people would come and they would heal the sick just like Jesus healed the sick. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus sends 70 people out to go to towns before him. He tells them what to do. He says, go into the cities and if the cities will receive you, heal the sick that are therein. See, the city's attitude, the people in the city, uh, their attitude toward Jesus sending the, the 70, their attitude toward the work that Jesus commissioned to be done had everything to do with the results that would take place. I wish people would figure that out today too. Things don't just happen because God wants them to happen. In fact, the Bible says God wills for every man to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So if everything happened just because God wanted it to, be ha- wanted it to happen, everybody would get saved. But they don't. Why not? Because your attitude, your choice, your decision is what di- dictates, not God's. So Jesus sends the 70 out, tells them to heal the sick. And they come back. And they rejoiced because they said, Lord, even the devils are subject to us, unto us in your name. Now, Jesus, if you, if you read the, earlier in the 10th chapter of Luke, you'll find out Jesus didn't say one word about casting out devils or, or do anything about the devil whatsoever. He just told them to heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. But they come back and they say, we found out this works even on casting out devils. And Jesus said, behold, well, I guess I better start in verse 18. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, he's not saying lightning is, Satan fell as lightning when you used the, the name of Jesus to cast out devils. He's saying the reason it works is because Satan is defeated. He was defeated and cast out of heaven from God long before the earth was ever recreated and Adam and Eve put in the middle of it. So he said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. What does that mean? Now, it means that Satan has authority here on the earth, but it's not his. He took it from man. 
God intended for man to have the dominion here on the earth, but Satan stole it from him. He tricked him and stole it from him. It's not Satan's authority. Jesus, in the three times in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls Satan the prince of this world. And so he recognizes that he does have authority. He recognizes that there is a position that Satan has here on the earth, but it was not granted to him. And so it's temporary. It was not given to him. In fact, it was given to man, and it will be restored back unto man. And that's why Jesus came. So he said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. And then he said, verse 19, behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now, these two words, power, are two different Greek words. Both translated power in the English. But the first word, power, really means authority. The second word, power, really means power or ability. So he said, behold, I give unto you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, folks, I would submit something to you for a minute for you to consider. If, if the church just believed that one scripture, think about how that would change everything. Now, some would say, well, yeah, but he just gave that to the 70. Really? Just to the 70? After they finished what he told them to do? They've come back. They're not, we don't have any record that they were ever sent out again. So he waits for him to come back and says, now I give you authority over all the power of the devil. Would that make sense to anybody? Of course not. What's he saying? He's saying the name of Jesus that I told you to heal the sick in is the key to the to authority over all the power of the enemy. Now, we've talked about the difference in power and authority. For example, we've used one example of um, uh, one that we're probably most familiar with is uh, a traffic cop. A policeman stands in an intersection and holds up his hand and and waves traffic one way and stops traffic the other way. Well, he doesn't have the power or the ability to stop even the smallest of cars. But he has the authority. And so you need to realize authority has to be based in power. Authority and power are two different things, but there has to be a basis of power for us to use or recognize authority. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church at its new time. Every Sunday morning at 10, starting June 14th. I actually started when uh, my mother called up and said, you have to turn on the TV, you have to watch. And I said, okay. And she said, this, you've got to see this church. Most solid teaching, she said she'd heard. Most deep teaching she'd heard in a long time. And I'm, okay, fine, we'll, we'll turn on. Suddenly, we're watching it every Sunday. You can find Mike Webb of Foothill Family Church at its new time. Every Sunday morning at 10, starting June 14th. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. There, is, there are a few subjects that are... More misunderstood, if we might say, than the authority of the believer, than the dominion, the spiritual dominion that the believer holds. Now, there's no question that the Bible says we have it. No question about that whatsoever. We'll go through a lot of scriptures this morning, or or some scriptures this morning at least, that will identify very clearly, very specifically, the authority that that the Christian has, that the church has. 
in the name of Jesus. Well, the question then has to be asked or considered if the church has without question, according to the scripture, authority over the power of the devil, why does the devil seem to run roughshod over the church? Now, there's a misunderstanding in in many cases uh, about authority, it seems. And some would say that authority comes only through great spiritual maturity, great spiritual enlightenment, someone that comes to the place where they they see and they know and they grow to a place where they're used of God in a great way, then, then they're the ones that have authority. But the Bible doesn't say that. Others will say that authority belongs to those that are called of God to do great things. And the Bible doesn't say that either. Now, don't get me wrong. Spiritual maturity can help being um, filled with the Spirit, so to speak, can help to recognize who we are and what we have. Called of God to do a ministry work may provide supernatural equipment, divine endowments of power to enable you to do what God has called you to do. But neither of those are authority. No, the Bible says that authority just traced back to one, uh, an individual makes Jesus the Lord of their lives. That's when authority begins. Now, what's also interesting to me is how the church um, accepts that physical laws, the laws of nature, are so orderly and so logical. God created the earth, and he created the earth with such logic and such detail and such order. The, the physical laws always work. You don't have to wait when you wake up in the morning. You don't have to test the floor to see if gravity is going to work today. You don't have to wonder if the sun's going to rise in the east and set in the west. The laws of nature work because God created them logically and in order, and He created them to always work. Well, why would we expect the spiritual laws work any different? Yet most Christians seem to have the idea that spiritual laws, if there is any such thing, spiritual laws are haphazard. That maybe authority is the result of someone who learns how to pray really well. But authority is not prevailing prayer. Spiritual authority is a spiritual law just like gravity is a natural law. And spiritual authority will always work. Now in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul begins in a great prayer. Beginning in verse 16, he says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, folks, realize these people are already saved. He's not saying I'm praying that you'll get saved. They are already saved. They're already spirit-filled. We know in Acts chapter 19 that the church at Ephesus began with uh, a small number of people being spirit-filled. And as a result of the work that God uh, enabled Paul to do in that place, he had the greatest revival in Ephesus than anywhere else in, that he went. It says that all of Asia, in the two and a half years that he was there in Ephesus, all of Asia heard the word of God from that headquarters church or ministry in Ephesus. So he's writing back to them. He knows who he's writing to. He's writing to spirit, born-again, spirit-filled believers. And he prays that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be given to them. Not that they'd get saved, but that they would come to know who they are. You go through the book of uh, the, the books or the letters that Paul wrote to the church, you'll find out that the vast majority of, of Paul's uh, ministry and intent in writing those letters was to give information 
and to pray that people would recognize who they are, not that they would have something more than they have. In other words, spiritual enlightenment seems to be a key to operating in the authority that God has given us or the spiritual laws that never change. So he prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give unto them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of their understanding, another translation says the eyes of their spirit, being enlightened, that they would know what is the hope of his calling. Not that they would be called, but that they would know what it means to be called as a Christian and what God's individual plan for their lives are. And secondly, what they, they, they would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Not that they would gain some inheritance, but that they would know what the inheritance in, includes or involves. He seems to think that the church is, not, is failing to operate in a lot of things that belongs to him. If that was true in Paul's day, I wonder if it's true today. Emphatically, yes. I don't think there's anything greater on the list that the church fails to recognize of what belongs to them than spiritual authority. He goes on and prays for the third thing, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God would cause them to know, verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power. Now, what power is he talking about? The power that was shown us toward usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So he's talking about that we would know the exceeding greatness of his power, meaning or defined as resurrection power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, where did it place him? Far above, verse 21, far above. Everybody say far above. How far is far above? More than a little bit, isn't it? We're not talking about an equal position here, are we? Far above means it's not even close in my thinking. Far above all. Everybody say all. Not a few, not a little bit. Far above, not even close. Over all principality and power. This is where power is authorities. And might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Folks, what I want you to see is very simply this. The authority that the Bible is going to tell you in these, uh, the next few verses, the, the authority that the Bible identifies that belongs to you is backed by greater power than anything in the universe. Far above. All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Now, not only in this world, but every name that is named in the ages to come. In other words, he's saying that the authority that we have in the name of Jesus, the power that was shown, the power that, that, that delivered that authority or that backs that authority that's given to the church is greater than anything that the devil can put his name on. Anything, any name that can be attached to natural things here on the earth. And, just for good measure, greater than any name that will ever be named in eternity. Now let me ask you a question. When Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says that the devil had no clue what was going on. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing to me how so many Christians seem to give the devil so much credit. 
Oh, he's so smart. He's so tricky. He's so powerful. The devil had no clue what he was doing when he put Jesus on the cross. The Bible says very specifically that had he known, he wouldn't have crucified him. He wouldn't have inspired other people to crucify Jesus, to take his life, if he had only known. Well, now, with all the demons that he has, with all the people, the, the, the evil spirits at his disposal, if he's not smart enough to figure out God's plan when God told from the beginning that there would be a sacrifice, if he's not smart enough to figure that out, then why is it that you think he's so smart to figure out everything that you're doing? Folks, I've got to tell you something. I don't consider it too bright to rebel against God. But I would consider him to even be more stupid because he didn't have the veil of the flesh. For him, for him, God wasn't invisible. For him, the, the, the unseen powers of the world were seen. And so when the devil finally sees what's going on, when the devil finally sees that Jesus in the sacrifice, the shedding of his blood, the physical death on the cross, and then the fact that he was sent to the lowest part of the earth, hell. In other words, he had to, if he was your substitute, that means he had to die the death you would have died. Or else he's not a worthy substitute. He could not have died the death of the righteous man, meaning to go to Abraham's bosom, the place of the righteous dead and pay for your sins because you're not the righteous dead you wouldn't have fallen into that category especially as gentiles we had no law of moses we have nothing to 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 keep up with or to, to adhere to he died for the sins of the world not the sins of the righteous covenant partners with god in the old testament he died for the sins of the world which means he had to die the death of the unrighteous that's hell And the Bible says that Jesus was the firstborn of the first begotten from the dead. He wasn't the firstborn of the first begotten from physical death. Jesus raised Lazarus. There were Old Testament people that were raised from the dead. So if he's the first begotten or firstborn from the dead, it has to mean spiritual death. He was the first one born from spiritual death. So when Satan finally sees what's going on, when he finally sees that this was all God's plan and he's played right into it by crucifying the Son of God, when he finally sees that, can you imagine the spiritual force that he would exert, the spiritual opposition that he would bring to bear? And, and I'm, I'm speculating because I don't know what that would be. I don't know how that would work. Maybe we'll get a chance to see it. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty well convinced that we'll have reruns in heaven. Maybe we'll get a chance to watch that in operation. I'd like to see that, wouldn't you? But can you imagine the spiritual force, the spiritual opposition, everything that Satan has, every authority, every bit of his authority, every bit of his power coming to bear to keep this from happening. Yet the Bible says that the power of God, the display of God's power swamped the power of the devil. Now look back to verse 20. Let me show you something. The power that he's talking about, oh, it's verse 19, I'm sorry. Notice one of the things that God wants you to see. He wants you to see. Paul is inspired by the Holy Ghost to pray. In other words, here's a Holy Ghost-inspired prayer. God is inspiring Paul to pray this. And then the Holy Ghost inspires Paul to write that he prayed this. And then God saves this throughout the ages for you to know. That says it's pretty important to me. Notice what he prayed. He prayed that God, that uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come to you so that you would know 
what is the exceeding greatness of his, of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. There are four words in this verse that are translated or mean some form of power. That you'd know the exceeding greatness of his power. That's the word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. It means ability. According to the working, the working, the word working means energy. It's translated power in other places in the New Testament. Might, mighty power. The first word mighty means strength. And the second word power means might. Most translations translate it the strength of his might. Four words are used in verse 19 to describe God's power. And it's the greatest recorded working of God's power in all of Scripture. Now, why in the world would the Holy Ghost inspire Paul to use four different words that means power in some form or another? Why would he do that? Because he's trying to show that the power behind the authority that we have in the name of Jesus is unmatched in the universe. It's so great that he says that it's caused Jesus to be raised far above all power of the devil, all principality and power and might and dominion, everything the devil's got. He's saying that the power of God that resides in you, and notice notice that phrase, to usward who believe. To usward who believe. Now, folks, let let me suggest something to you, and that is this. Jesus didn't need the power the devil had in heaven. There's only one reason that he needed to obtain the power of sin and death, which is what the power of the devil had, which is what the Bible says you're delivered from. There's only one reason that he needed the power of sin and death, and that was to set you free. Adam falling did not affect God one way or another. I'm sure it disappointed him. I'm sure it grieved him because man was his child. And he wanted to fellowship with man. And now man is separated by sin through spiritual death. He's separated from God. And so now God has to make a way for man to have limited access back to him. Why did he do this? Why did Jesus go to the trouble of coming to the earth and showing what authority through righteousness does and how it destroys the devil's authority or or works uh, in um, opposition to the devil's authority? Why did he show that? Why did he go to the cross and sacrifice and go through the suffering of the cross? And I'm sure the physical suffering wasn't, uh, wasn't um, uh, fun or convenient or, or pleasant in any way whatsoever. Jesus suffered greatly in physical form. But the thing that he shies away more than anything else is, is spiritual death. He comes to the place where he knows that he has to be made sin. He has to take on the very nature of sin itself if he's going to pay the price for it. So he does. Now, why does he do that? So that he can be raised from the dead to restore mankind to the original position of dominion through righteousness. He does it to us who believe. It's only for you. The Bible says that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he sat down at the right hand of God. And the Bible says that we're also seated with him at the right hand of God. That place is a place of authority. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. 
you and I have been commissioned to destroy the works of the devil here on the earth. To occupy till he comes. That's what that means. It means do the works of Jesus till Jesus gets here. The gospels show us what his works were. Healing the sick. Casting out devils. Exercising authority over the devil in, at every turn. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.